Well, brethren, good evening. Tonight we're going to start Second uh, Corinthians, and uh, as we recall, um, Paul was used by God to uh, raise the church in Corinth during his second journey, his second second missionary trip, and he was there for about one and a half years. We read that in Acts chapter eighteen. So we're going to look at a few sections of Acts now and again today. So you might want to keep a marker there. But in Acts chapter 18, verse 11, uh, we read, and he continued there a year and six months. So about 18 months uh, teaching the word of God amongst them. But then there is an interesting little statement on the next verse here. And the interesting little statement is that when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, uh, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So we have a situation here or a time period when Gallio was proconsul of Gallia. Now from the Bible Archaeology Report of October 2019. Um, I'm going to read certain parts of it. Uh, maybe I'm not quoting it exactly what it says, but uh, the most famous and most important artifact relating to Gallio is the Delphi inscription, sometimes called the Gallio inscription. In 1905, a French excavation team at Delphi, Greece, unearthed a group of four fragments inscribed with a Greek inscription. This inscription is called the Delphi inscription and is, according to the Bible Archaeology Report, of immense importance for New Testament studies. First, it confirms that Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia, as Luke recorded in the book of Acts, and that's what I just finished reading in Acts 18, verse 12. At that time, Achaia was a Roman senatorial province, which included the cities of Athens, Corinth, and Delphi. Now, secondly, this uh, stone helps us to pinpoint the date of Paul's stay in Corinth. The inscription states that Claudius had been, quote, acclaimed emperor for the 26th time, dating it to between January and August AD 52. It was 52 of the current era. In his book on biblical chronology, and I've got this book, yeah. I bought it some time ago, uh, this book of biblical or, or, uh, chronology from Paul, from Abraham to Paul by Andrew E. Steinman. So in this book, on page 305, it notes that since proconsuls um, usually took office uh, in on May 1st and served only for one year. We know that Gallius served as proconsul of Achaia 
from the second half of AD 51 to the first half of AD 52. So this inscription, uh, this uh, Galio inscription or Delphi inscription, as it's called either one or the other, this inscription is a fixed time marker by which we can date most of Paul's ministry and much of the history of the early church. I thought I'd share that with you because that's interesting. Now, as we read here in verse 12 of Acts 18, it says, When Gali was proconsul of Achaia, and uh, now where is Achaia? So we are talking about uh, Paul's second journey. And so I'm going to share with you a map. Uh, let's just uh, share this map. And in this map, you can see where the area of Achaia is. The area of Achaia is right there where Corinth and Athens, that area is. So when uh, when um, Gali was proconsul of Achaia, and this therefore we're talking about a date in roundabout the second half of AD 51. Uh, some people say probable July AD 51 would have been May or June would have been uh, the beginning date of Gallius. <coughs> beg your pardon. Uh, pro-consulship and uh, so uh, we read here in verse uh, continuing in verse uh, 13 14 and 15 saying this fellow in a big part of so let me see the jews with one accord rose up against paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying this fellow that's paul persuades men to worship god contrary to the law and when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why it should bear with you. But it is a question of words and names of your own law. Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. So this was probably soon after he took office. And then we read in verse 21 of Acts 18, what it says then, um, says, or beg your pardon, then it says in verse 18, so Paul still remained a good, a good, remained a good time. Then he took leave of the brethren, he sailed for Syria, and uh, Priscilla and Achilla were with him. He had his head cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow, and then he came to Ephesus. In verse uh, 19 and then he says and but took leave of them saying I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem so that was probably Passover which would have been AD 52 so let me share this map again with you so we can get an idea yeah Paul was um, in um, in uh, Corinth, it says, and then uh, he took sail. We read that uh, 
he stayed there for a while and then he came to Ephesus. So he came to Ephesus and then uh, he was hoping to stay there and then go to Jerusalem uh, for Passover towards the latter part of, I'll be a part of, towards the early part of AD 52. All right, let's go on reading in uh, Acts 18, verse 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea, that's around uh, near Jerusalem, he had gone up and greeted the church. He went down to Antioch, and that represents the end of his uh, second journey. Again, uh, remember, there are uh, two Antiochs, and uh, there's this Antiochia, so he, he went to Caesarea, and from there he went to saw the church, and then he went to Antioch, and that basically was his home base, where, uh, where he would leave for his different journeys. You see, there's another Antioch, which is Antioch of Pisidia, which is not shown in this map. But he went back to Antioch, and that was the end of his second journey. <clears throat> All right, so let me uh, continue then. So he stayed uh, some time in Antioch. Uh, we read that in, um, in verse 23. Uh, after he had spent some time there in Antioch, then he departed, and then he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order uh, strengthening all the disciples. So he stayed for some time, some time in, in that, uh, let's call it his, his own base, Antioch. It doesn't say how long was that some time. Uh, did he stay there just for a few months in AD 52? Or did he stay there for one or two years? We don't know. But then he says in verse 23, and he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening these the disciples. And that is his second, a big part of that is the beginning of his third missionary trip. So I'll show you now his third missionary trip. So he left in Antioch. And then as we read here, he, he then in um, he departed to the region of Galatia and Phrygia. So this is the Galatian region and uh, and Phrygia. And so he went in this area and then he ended up, um, it says, uh, he went, uh, and we can see ended up in Ephesus, as we'll see uh, briefly. So that's his third trip. Now, uh, in that, in Acts 19, verse 1, in Acts 19, verse 1, uh, it says, And it happened when Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples there. So, so he went through that region of um, Galatia, and uh, as it says there in uh, uh, Phrygia, and then he came to Ephesus. <clears throat> And then, um, when was that? Well, 
it could have been um, soon after 52, maybe 53. Um, I remember when we, I did uh, ABC lectures, uh, they mentioned at that time uh, that probably the beginning of his third trip was between 54 to 57. So his third missionary trip was from 54 to 57. But whatever it was, 54 or maybe 53 to 56, the point was round about that mid years 50, like 54 or 55. And then we read here in Acts 19, verse 8, uh, Acts 19, verse 8, it says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly, so this is Ephesus, um, for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, in other words, from the, the Jews at the synagogue, and, and he took the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So probably he rented a school hall, like quite often we do something similar today. And, uh, and verse 10, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So he stayed in Ephesus. So I'm going to share the screen, just this map, so it's very clear. He stayed here for about two years and maybe three months. So two years at the school of, of um, as it says, of Tyrannus. So from there, he built quite a basis in Ephesus, which, by the way, uh, became a, a basis for the church, Ephesus, and we have the letter of Ephesians, and and we we know, uh, for instance, about uh, the book of Revelation. You may recall that uh, John was yeah, in the Isle of Patmos, Patmos, and and John the apostle in the years ninety. This was after the destruction of temple. This area became, let's call it the headquarters church. So after the destruction of, of the temple in AD 70, uh, this became like the center where the church was run from in those years after AD 70. So that's where the apostle John was based around that area where he wrote uh, the book of John, the epistle of John, as well as the three epistles, first John, first, second and third John. And we're uh, around that area from Patmos and there in that area where uh, the book of Revelation was uh, revealed to him. So it's, it's just interesting that Ephesus then became quite a center of uh, the New Testament church. So uh, let's uh, get out of that map. So while he was there in Ephesus, uh, Paul wrote First Corinthians. So uh, we went through First Corinthians. And so it was there, he probably wrote 1 Corinthians in the mid-50s, so let's say AD 55. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> and we're going to read uh, verse 9, because that's when he became 
he came to know and he describes that uh, in first uh, corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 that he says i wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company of sexually immoral people so we can see from first corinthians 5 verse 9 that he had written to the corinthian brethren before he wrote the letter which is recorded in the bible in the new testament as first corinthians so he had written either letter or other letters uh, so and while he was there uh, he got to know about the the situation with sexual immorality before he wrote first corinthians and then while he was in ephesus he got further reports of the visions uh, you read in first corinthians 1 verse 11 first corinthians 1 verse 11 it says for it has been declared to me concerning you my brethren by those of chloe's household that there are contentions or divisions or quarrels amongst you so there were divisions uh, in amongst the brethren and uh, and we also read in first corinthians uh, 7 chapter 7 verse 1 First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Um, this is not concerning the things of which he wrote to me. So we can see that the Corinthian brethren had also written to Paul asking for clarification on certain issues regarding marriage, because that's what he says. The things that you wrote to me, uh, and then he discusses various things, as we know, in first corinthians chapter 7 about marriage and so the response to all these points questions of adultery and questions of marriage and also other problems and divisions that existed or were occurring in corinthians that became the letter of first corinthians which as we know was a rather corrective letter or some people call it a severe letter it was sent with titus as far as we can understand was sent with titus to corinth uh, we read that in second corinthians chapter 7 second corinthians chapter 7 verse 13 through 16 it says therefore we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because of his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So he had sent us letter of Titus and then he had received, he had met Titus coming back with news about the result or the outcome of that letter. All right, so, <clears throat> uh, so Paul, uh, as we can read also in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, first corinthians 16 verse 8 he says but i'll tar a tarry or, or i'll delay i'll stay in ephesus until pentecost so he wanted to stay there until pentecost <coughs> and bigger part and paul also had sent timothy to corinth because he says in first corinthians 16 verse 10 i mean he had sent timothy to to macedonia and then to go to corinth as well because he says and if timothy comes 
see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I do also. So uh, uh, Timothy, I sent him, uh, and if he comes, uh, or when he comes, if he comes, it's what he says, then, you know, receive him. Uh, but uh, so he may be with you without fear. I explained that in the previous study that Timothy was a kind of a, a soft-hearted type person, not a strong person. That's why he sent that strong letter with Titus. So uh, uh, let's also read in Acts uh, 19, verse 22. Acts 19, verse 22. Um, it's talking young, and he says, so he went into Macedonia, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but himself stayed in Asia, Asia for a while. So this also confirms that he had sent Timothy to that area, to Macedonia, and then to Achaia, where uh, Corinth is. Uh, but in parallel, um, Paul received um, some disturbing news. And the disturbing news, maybe he received those through letters or whichever way, maybe through Timothy, uh, that there were some self-styled false apostles in Corinth. Um, if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he then addresses those false, uh, false apostles. Because you read the Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and uh, and uh, and then it talks there about if some comes to you and uh, preaches another Jesus. That's Second Corinthians eleven verse four, uh, having a different gospel or a different spirit. And I fear that uh, that you may put up with it. That you may accept them and loud. And then he says in verse five, for I consider I'm not or at all inferior uh, to the most eminent apostles, you know, to these false apostles. I'm not inferior. Um, so uh, he, he must have received some disturbing news because he includes that in this letter. And these were people that were trying to get a platform and uh, to get a platform, they were beginning to attack Paul's character. That's why uh, Paul starts uh, having this section here in first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting from verse 16, uh, which in my Bible is, is, has got a little heading called reluctant boasting. So he, he is defending his, his, his character. But these people start attacking Paul's character, and they spoke against him. Uh, and... And these false apostles had to convince people or the brethren uh, to turn from Paul to them and, uh, and so that they would succeed preaching this wrong doctrine. And by the way, brethren, that's always Satan's approach. Uh, he uses some, some little thing that is a discontent, some discontentment or something that is a little bit of unhappiness. And then uh, he uses that and starts uh, that becomes disheartening or discouraging to some people and then starts creating doubts and then he divides because it's all about divide and conquer. So it starts with 
you know, that's, that's what they call the four Ds, discontent, uh, disheartening or discouragement, doubts, and division. And that's always Satan's tactics. And we got to be careful of that, brethren. So then let's go on and read in Acts 19, Acts 19, uh, verse 23. Acts 19, verse 23. And uh, we see uh, that there was a person in Ephesus called Demetrius that sparked some riots. So Acts 19, verse 23. And about that time arose a great commotion about the way. A certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Diana, the false goddess Diana, brought no uh, no small profit to the to the craftsmen. So this was a big business opportunity for this silversmith making these these little idols of Diana. And uh, so he was quite upset because people were turning away from worshiping uh, Diana, and therefore his business was going down the hill. So whoa, whoa, you know, I got to do something. So he called them together with the workers of similar occupation. And said, man, do you know that we have our prosperity by this trade? Hey, we make big business from this uh, false goddess Diana. Uh, verse 26, moreover, you see and hear that not, not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods, which are made with hands. And so our business is going down. And so verse 27, so not only is the trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. Well, that's the emotional part. The real point is his back pocket, their back pocket, their, their profits. So he says, well, and therefore the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And now when they heard this, uh, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples were not allowing. Uh, verse uh, 31. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, Paul's friends, sent to him, to Paul, pleading that he, Paul, would not venture into the theater. And verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So this was just a mad riot, and the people in the end didn't even know what it was all about, but they're just going mad. And so, and we read then in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So he departed to go to Macedonia from Ephesus. So as we look again at this map that I'm sharing with you, from there, 
he departed to go to Macedonia, which is yeah, but he went through Troas. All right, so let's um, continue reading. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And it says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no resting spirit because I did not fight Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. So you see, he went to Troas. He couldn't find Titus there. He wanted to get news about his first letter, the so-called severe letter or the corrective letter, 1 Corinthians. He wanted to know how the brethren were. He was concerned about them. And he was hoping and praying that he had received it with repentance. And so he wanted to get news from Titus. But Titus wasn't there. So he proceeded to Macedonia. Uh, that's what um, we read in um, uh, verse, um, uh, verse 12 and 13. So now we jump to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 through 7. Now, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So finally, he got to hear from Titus and, and, and actually saw him and, and he got the news from Titus about how his first letter to the Corinthians had been received. And he says, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he, he was comforted in you, in you Corinthians, because you repented. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. When he told us that they had mourned, they had repented, that they desired to serve God and of their zeal for Christ, he rejoiced even more. You see, so they had repented and Paul was very, very happy. But he was not a fool. He was wise enough to understand that some rebellious attitudes still continued. You know, I mean, not everybody repented. There were still some uh, that still uh, uh, continued with those attitudes. So we therefore uh, guess and uh, uh, we, we think that he wrote Second Corinthians from probably Philippi, from right here where he was, where he met Titus. He got this information and then he wrote to the Corinthians this letter <coughs> I beg your pardon so let's get a little bit of support to that uh, in 2nd Corinthians 11 verse 9 2nd Corinthians 11 verse 9 uh, it says and when I was present with you and in need I was a burden to no one uh, for what I lacked 
The brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. So uh, he's talking about that the brethren that came from Macedonia. And also in Philippians chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So the Philippians were a group of people that helped him, that supported him, and uh, he was very grateful for that. In uh, Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 2, Let's have a look, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. Um, it, it says, But I, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So I know your willingness, which I boast to you to the Macedonians. In other words, those in Macedonia, in Philippi. I boast to you, and that is boasting to the Macedonians in the present tense. Therefore, he probably wrote from there. Um, and then he does say that he intends to visit Corinthians soon. You read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. And he says, I've told you before and foretell as if I were present, the second time and now being absent i write to those who who i write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if i come again i will not spare so he says he's coming again if i come again i'll not spare so he wants the rest that have not repented to repent but he he does imply there that that is coming shortly so that gives you a little bit of historical background um, of Second Corinthians, where it was written from, and uh, looking at Second Corinthians as a book, it's you could say that it's organized into three major sections. Second uh, Corinthians, from chapter one to chapter seven, that first section is more related to Paul defending his apostolic apostolic authority. Then verse 8, chapter 8 and 9, is preparing those Corinthian brethren for a collection of fruit and other things uh, to help the Jerusalem brethren. You, you saw that also mentioned. I made reference to it uh, in the last study. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. And so he says, you, you collect, you take this gathering on the first day of work, you do this collection, start collecting, so that when I'm there, uh, I may then, and when I return back to Jerusalem, I may take to the poor people in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem brethren. So the organization is... Um, Chapter 1 through 7, basically, is defending his, his apostolic authority. Uh, chapter 8 and 9, 
is preparing the brethren for the collection to help the poor uh, Jerusalem brethren. And uh, chapter 10 till the end, till 13 of Second Corinthians, he is confronting or addressing these false prophets. So he's actually addressing that issue of false prophets. The actual purpose of this epistle of uh, Second Corinthians um, is in first place to commend for their obedience and for them to show love to that offender that had repented. And you can see that in Second Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 6 through 8. It says, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather now to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So that's one of the purposes. Another purpose, as I mentioned, is to urge the collection. I went through those sections in um, Second Corinthians chapter 8, which says in verse 1, uh, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberal liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imposing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, to the will of God. So he's encouraging them to do the same thing. And we can see that as we continue reading verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he has begun, so you'd also complete his grace in you as well. That same grace of collecting the gifts for the, the, the those giving and administering that gift. You also see that in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal, your zeal has stirred up the majority. So you were prepared to do that a year ago, and now your zeal is even more so. So he's encouraging them to keep, keep up. And as we can see in Romans 15, Romans 15, verse 25, Romans 15, verse 25 and 26, it says, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor amongst the saints who are in Jerusalem. So they did get that contribution from Macedonia and from Achaia, which is the region of Corinth. So uh, that was uh, completed during his three-month visit to Corinth. And thirdly, the purpose, as I mentioned, the first one is to commend their obedience and love the offender. The second was to urge the collection for the saints. And the third was to show that, to show that false prophets were causing disunity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Second, I beg your pardon, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. So we're not peddling the word of God like these false prophets, but of sincerity, but as from God, as we speak in the sight of God in Christ. <clears throat> and, uh, and then also in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 through 5, he says, um, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly. And he says, For I'm jealous for you with great jealousy. And then he says, For I fear, verse 3, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve, Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicities in Christ because of these false prophets. They were uh, uh, false uh, teachings. And then look at also verse 13 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So he is, um, uh, uh, in, in the purpose of this letter, a further purpose of this letter, is to, um, uh, to warn them uh, about these false prophets causing disunity. And so basically, uh, putting it into a simple theme for the second Corinthians. Um, maybe second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 describes um, what this epistle is all about. It says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. So it, it is an epistle about the apostles' love and the apostles' relationship with a, tr a church which was having some troubles. And therefore is a story of unreturned love. All right, let's therefore now uh, start after giving this background of Second Corinthians and giving you a perspective from a timing and a, a structure and a purpose, let's start reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now look at what he's saying, because remember, he's going to combat these false apostles, false ministers. So he says, Paul, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I didn't appoint myself. It is God that appointed me. I'm not a self-appointed apostle. No, but I was promoted to this position by God. You read that Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 says promotion doesn't come from the east and the west and the south, but comes from the north, comes from God. Promotion comes from God. And then it say, continues here in, um, in verse 1, and Timothy, our brother. Now, it's interesting that he calls Timothy his brother. Now, Paul calls Timothy a brother when he's writing 
to the churches. Paul calls Timothy a son when he's writing directly to Timothy. You see, when you read 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, he says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. And when you read Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 verse, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Uh, yeah, Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. It says, and therefore, my son, the, the strong, the be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he calls Timothy a brother when he writes to the church. He calls Timothy a son when writing to him personally. Um, it's also to note that Timothy was of Paul at the very foundation of the church in Corinth. You read in, in Acts 18, and 1 through 5, we can see that Timothy was right there from the beginning. But continue now in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, to the church of God. So yeah, I see the name of the church is the church of God, which is at Corinth. With all the saints who are in all Achaia or Achaia. Now, with all the saints. Interesting that the saints are living people, right? It's not dead people who were made saints after years, like some churches uh, define. He's saying the saints, they are living now, who are in all Achaia. So um, the saints are living people. And then continues in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his normal, typical introduction to all his epistles. Basically says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from verse 3 to verse 7, he describes what I would call God's nature. By that I mean God's nature of mercy, of encouragement, of comfort. God is a God of mercies, is a God of comfort. That is God's nature. Let's read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God is the Father of mercies. That Greek word, uh, Greek 3628, <coughs> in Thayer's definition, is a, means compassion, pity, mercy, bowels of compassion, a heart of compassion, emotion, longings, manifestations of pity. And so God is a God of mercy. God the Father, in fact, we know is is on the mercy seat. It's a throne of mercy. Of course, it's also the judgment seat. But the interesting point is the mercy seat is on top 
of that ark and inside the ark is a law so the mercy is above the, the mercy is greater is 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 what god is it's his nature and then he says um of all comfort uh, the word there is the greek word 3874 paraclesis which is similar to john 14 26 which is says our help paracletus uh, which is the holy spirit referring to the holy spirit so this comfort this paraclesis is the one that comes alongside to comfort is the one that's next to you to comfort like when some people are going through trials and one way to comfort is found them keep in touch with them um, maybe visit them uh, maybe they have a need for some food take them some food maybe go there and clean up the house help them clean up whatever that's comforting and in philippians chapter 2 verse 1 philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says therefore if if there is any consolation or comfort in christ there may be a consolation in christ or if any comfort of love if any affection of the spirit if any affection and mercy be like-minded as christ and so yeah we have also um referring to christ that christ is the god who comforts now continuing in verse 4 and he says who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by god and so this word tribulation yeah in verse 4 this word tribulation uh, uh, greek word 2347 is related to a crushing pressure there's someone that is under crushing pressure it's just so much pressure and, and and paul understood that because there were people trying to undermine him trying to crush him and um, and so when we are under pressure um, we need to um, to encourage us because it says here comfort is not an end by itself that god comforts us but it says um, in uh, verse 4 it says uh, who are uh, says who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those that are in trouble we have to when we are comforted by god we learn to comfort others so comfort from god is not an end itself but it is for us to comfort others well, this is where i'm going to stop today i'm going to talk a little bit more about that next time but uh, anyway brethren you have all a good evening